Hello, everyone, and welcome to my podcast for March 4th. And even though the podcasts are on forever and many people will be listening to this much later, today we're going to talk about the rally that Donald Trump had in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you're going to get an eyewitness view. And not only that, but we're going to talk about what some of the people were saying at the rally, especially those who are queued up for a couple of days waiting. I'm so happy to interview today Benjamin Patrick McGuire, who I met recently at the National Religious Broadcasters. Interestingly, he goes to the church, All Nations Church in Charlotte, that is pastored by Bonnie and Mahesh Shavda, who is my guest yesterday. If you missed that podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network, you'll want to listen to it. It was very interesting and in how they have gotten involved in the city of Charlotte to make a change. So I was interested when I met Benjamin last week that he was going to go to the rally if you saw the news, you saw that people waited in line for a couple of days. This is actually what happens at most rallies. I've been to two rallies, uh, one in Miami, one in Orlando, Florida. People did line up. I was not able to be there. And so as Benjamin and I talked about it, I said, hey, you're going to be on the ground. I want an eyewitness viewpoint. This isn't live but it's about as close as we can get on a podcast like this. So first of all, let me welcome you to my podcast, Benjamin. Hey, it's great to be here. So was this your first Trump rally? And tell us what it was like. Okay, this was actually my fifth one. I went to one of the first ones in Charlotte back when people who went to Trump rallies were heckled and even beat up in other places. So when I told my prayer group that I was going that time, they were like, you better be careful, you better be careful you know, be sure you pray up. So me and my wife did pray up. And we went there. And to our surprise, there were like maybe a few protesters back then. And it was just like going to a football game of the team you love the most. And there was just like so much like team spirit and unity there. And it was awesome that like cemented my vote for Donald Trump back then in 2015. So it's just an experience to go to. If you've never been to a Trump rally, I highly suggest it. Well, of course, most of the rallies are on television. I actually watched it last night from my home in Orlando, Florida, and it was great. And Donald Trump is really an entertainer, you know, so they're always a lot of fun. But let me ask you, why have things gotten to such a place in our country that people would come and beat up people that go to a political rally? And why does it seem to always be against Donald Trump? And very, very rarely, there are a few nuts out there that would show up at one of the Democrats rallies and cause a little problem, but it's not the norm. Why do you think that's happened? And maybe also, let me ask, why do you think that things have changed as you just described? Well, you have like a real violent left-wing party out there. You have Antifa out there that goes out there and they beat up people that they don't agree with. They call them anti-fascist, but they're not. And in fact, they're more the fascist by trying to control people's thoughts and all that. But it also doesn't help that most of the mainstream media is against Donald Trump and they're mad because they didn't get their way in the election in 2016 when they tried to rig it all for Hillary Clinton. They even rigged it against Bernie Sanders. And 
that's why the DNC last time around was really crazy. And we're beginning to see that again. In fact, Donald Trump is tweeting that they're going to steal it from Bernie. And time will tell, of course, what happens. And that's not the point of our podcast, other than to talk about the political situation. So here you are in Charlotte, and people are lining up. Do you have any idea when people started lining up? And did they sleep out on the sidewalk overnight? Or exactly how did that happen? Okay, well, I did talk to the lady that was there since Thursday night. And what they do is they end up taking shifts. She stayed at the hotel right next to it, and she had her chair there. So that reserved her space in line. And then she would leave, and then someone standing there would, would, or, you know, sitting in their chair would stay there. And then they'd they'd trade places and all that. And then at 7 a.m. yesterday. Now, this would have been Monday the 2nd. So she came on Thursday, which was several days before. And then on yes. Monday morning, the line got a lot longer. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Well, I actually stopped by there Sunday night to check and see. And I talked to a whole bunch of people there that were waiting. And it was awesome. It's like they were there. They were all sharing each other's like food and passing around like their chips and just talking. And it was just a great old time. There was like a group called Students for Trump that was in the parking lot. And they had a bunch of pickups and they brought some grills and they were tailgating out there just like trying to welcome students to trump so i mean the whole thing was as i said when i compare it to a football game it's like some people show up to football games hours in advance to just have fun and tailgate out there before they go and well instead of hours they came out days in advance here and even the night before and it was cold that night I mean, yeah, Charlotte is the south, but it got down to like 37 degrees that night. And so people had sleeping bags and they actually did. Some of them slept out there. And it's like not all of them had hotels to to go to. But so who were these people? You mentioned that some of them were students. I'm guessing that a lot of them voted for Trump the first time. Probably a lot were Republicans. But did you meet people that weren't Republicans or maybe independents or Democrats? Were there people that were going to vote for Trump the first time? I know you talked to a lot of people. In fact, I asked you to talk to people and find out kind of who was in the line. What did you find? Well, the night before, those are the dedicated people. And I couldn't find one of them that didn't vote for Trump the first time, except for the people that weren't old enough to. But the next day at the event, I found some Democrats. I found one guy who didn't vote at all. And he said he probably would have voted for Trump. But he's supporting Trump now because Trump did what he said. And he didn't think that he would. He was like, I hoped he would. But like the fact that he was promises made promises kept with all the Supreme Court justices, the judges and standing up for religious rights and standing up for life, that right there converted him to be a gun ho Trump supporter. Well, you know, the media portrays that Donald Trump barely has the edge, barely won. People don't like him. And I have observed and met people who have come over to support him for the reasons that you talk. And there's many more support for Israel, how the economy is booming. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my book, God, Trump in the 2020 election, I go into a lot of that stuff and document it. But I finished the book around Labor Day and then it went to the printer around Thanksgiving. And an awful lot has changed since then. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me 
that enthusiasm for the president is growing, and this is what you seem to find in Charlotte, which is significant because the Republican National Convention is going to be there in August. And also, Charlotte was almost like an epicenter for all a lot of this radical stuff. It is. That's what I talked to uh, Bonnie Shavda about was you know, the transgender bathrooms, and there were the riots, and a lot of people against the police, and racial tensions, and so forth. She told me that a lot of that has changed. Did you run into any of that, or did people talk about those kinds of things? I'm interested, and my listeners are interested, in what people were saying while they were waiting for that rally to begin. Well, yeah, funny you should mention it. I only saw, like, one protester there, and it was like... It was this lady that held up a sign that said, dump Trump. <laughs> so was, people were like, boo, four more years, four more years. <laughs> but uh, yeah. That's funny. I mean, there were all kinds of different types of people there. There was one lady that was from Cuba, and she's like standing up for Trump because she saw socialism. And she's like, hey, they do not portray Cuba the way it really is there. And we do not need socialism here in the United States. And I am voting for Trump. And I even interviewed one fellow Bernie bro who, in the last election, he ended up voting for Trump, but uh, he was a Bernie bro at first until he like really started listening to Bernie and was thinking, how is this going to be paid for? And it just didn't make sense. And then that's, and he talked to his dad and his dad was well-versed in history and was able to talk some sense into him. And then he did vote for Trump last time. But it's, it's awesome, like hearing these people's feelings and why they love Trump. A lot of them love Trump for the sanctity of life. A lot of them love him for just keeping America great and making America American again to where people have pride for America because under the last administration, patriotism pretty much died. And when we had a president that went out and apologized to other nations for the United States and had a whole lead from behind thing, it was like patriotism went down. And now since Donald has been in there, it's like there's been a rise in patriotism. People love America, and he has helped bring industry back to America. I was talking to one person who was like, hey, I used to work in furniture, and all the furniture plants went away, and all the furniture companies went away. So then I started working on electronics, and all that went away. And then he said, under Trump, all that stuff is coming back, and he has so much work now, and he just really appreciates all that Trump is doing for the working people. I mean... The Democrats used to pride themselves on, hey, we're the party of the working class, and they totally shifted since Trump has been in there to, we are the party of illegal immigration. <laughs> we are the party of open borders, and it's just crazy how much things have changed, and I haven't seen anybody who voted for Trump in 2016 that has changed to want to vote Democrat, but... I have seen so many people switch to the Republican Party. There's a town in, was it Pennsylvania just recently, where the elected officials there switched from Democrat to Republican. So we're seeing a bunch of Democrats become Republicans, but we're not seeing the opposite. And it's like, with Bernie Sanders running as a Democrat and getting a lot of steam, he is pulling the whole party radically towards socialism. And a lot of Democrats do not want socialism. And so therefore, it's pulling them towards Trump. Even if they don't vote Republican the rest of the ticket, they're not going to stand for a socialist in the office. And so I like to say, you know, Trump did a lot of damage to the Democrat Party. Bernie is burning it down. <laughs> well, that's a good way to put it. And of course, 
just a few days before this podcast was the South Carolina primary on the 29th, and Joe Biden won that. Now a couple of the candidates have dropped out. You know, it looks like the party establishment is trying to move it toward Biden away from Bernie. It's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. And I'm old enough to remember the 1968 Democratic Convention where this was during the Vietnam era and a lot of radicalism back then. And there were actually riots at the Democratic Mm. National Convention in Chicago that year. And, you know, you wonder what's going to happen. But back to Trump. That's the purpose of our podcast. (laughs) So I know the television coverage started about 7 p.m. Eastern time, and the president came on around 8, as I recall. So what time did they start letting you guys in, and were you one of the first ones to get into the arena? And I know they said it was packed. How big was that arena, and what was it like going in, finding your seat, you know, just describe the scene from your point of view. Okay, well, I actually didn't go inside. I purposely planned to stay outside and see all the people in the overflows. They never show. But they opened the doors early. They were going to open it at 3, but I think they opened it at 2 or 2.30. And then as people were going in, they had, like, Eric Trump went up there, Diamond and Silk went up there. And so they would have people come up and talk for a little bit just to entertain the crowd. And then they'd have the same playlist of we are the champions and all that (laughs) in between there. But I wanted to stay outside and I wanted to see, like, it's easy to see if a stadium is packed on the inside or not. And if there are any open seats, but it's like when you're there and they close the doors, than seeing all the people out there because people who got there as late as 4 p.m. were able to get in barely. But there were people that I interviewed after the gates closed. It was like, yeah, we came here at five and we didn't make it. (laughs) But they stuck around. When the door shut, I'd say maybe about a quarter of the people left. And they're like, oh, we'll just watch this on TV or something. But a good two or 3,000 people stayed outside and watched it on the screen outside and They were all just there together and cheering, and it was amazing. (laughs) Well, I know the rally seemed to be amazing from my vantage point, and I haven't watched all of them, but I've watched many, and as I said, I was at two. And he makes a lot of the same points at the different rallies. Of course, he comments on what's going on, uh, you know, even with the Democratic Party in the last week. So you watch, you actually watched it on the Jumbotron with these, you yeah. said, three to 5,000 people outside. Were they all enthusiastic and cheering, or what were people oh, yeah. talking about? Yeah, they were cheering, and it was like, woo I mean, a lot of people don't understand Trump, but he's the master of all kinds of different media. When it comes to his rallies, he's like the stand-up comedian. He's super entertaining, but when he's meeting with dignitaries or doing press conferences, he's presidential, he's serious. But it's like, <laughs> Funny when how he that. does his rallies, he's, he's up there, he gets pumped, he pumps up the crowd, and he just lets them know what's going on, and it's just a real fun time. And it's like, you know, he masters Twitter, he's able to get his point across, he's able to stop wars with North Korea just through tweets. I mean, it's like, when he started calling them Rocket Man, people were like, oh no, he's going to start World War Three. but it's like, look at how it turned out. It's like, he's he's just a stable genius. (laughs) I agree. Well, in the few minutes we have left, I have a couple questions. Did you interact at all with any of the news media who were there to cover it? And if so, what did they say? Or did people talk about the news media at all, you know, in the crowd? 
You know, surprisingly, there wasn't much news media there interviewing the crowd. I did see Right Side Broadcasting there, and I was too busy doing my own interviews and talking to people to really care about the other media. But, I mean, I did see a few, and it's like, hey, people, when they talk to the mainstream media, if they have, like, uh, ABC or something like that, you know, they're a lot of them won't even want to talk to them because they know that they're going to most likely either not air it or take what they said and distort it or other things like that. But these people, they wanted to get their voice out when they were talking to me. And it's like all of them have the story. And they're, it's like I asked them, hey, what are you most thankful about Trump? And they're like, hey, we're thankful that he's standing up for us. We're thankful that he's bringing the jobs back. We're thankful that he is pro-life and he's trying to stop the bloodshed. We're thankful that he's stopping human trafficking. We're thankful for all of this. And it's just like, I didn't even ask any of them if they were Christians or anything, but I was like, hey, we're thankful that he stands up for Jesus. He stands up for the believers. And so it was like, it was, it was awesome. Well, interesting that you had mentioned the Christians. Of course, I dealt with that in the three books that I've written about Trump. And 80% of evangelical Christians, you know, the kind who actually believe the Bible and go to church and believe that you have to be born again, 80% voted for the president for, I believe, the reasons that you stated, but there's 20% that didn't. And some of them even call themselves never-Trumpers, including Christianity Today, which for many decades has been very well-respected, but they actually said that Trump should be removed They said some very unkind things. I know the people at Christianity Today fairly well. I was surprised that they did that. But, you know, they don't seem to be changing their minds in spite of what he's done for pro-life and religious freedom and so forth. If you were to talk to a never-Trumper, say in your church, or just someone you knew at work that you knew was a Christian, but they just didn't like Trump, usually they will point at his reputation as a billionaire playboy in the 1980s. I believe that he, and I make the the case in my book, that he's changed a lot by then, and none of us are perfect, and most people have a past that they're ashamed of if, you know, if they were to be confronted over it publicly, but what would you say to these people to persuade them that they need to vote for Donald Trump, you know, if nothing more than who the alternative is? Yeah, I mean, when you look at the Christians that are never Trumpers. It just perplexes me. Uh, It's like they all hold things that Trump did like 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And if you're a Christian, you're supposed to believe in redemption. You're supposed to believe that someone can change. And they hold that against them. And also, they have bought into the uh, virtual signaling of the left of, hey, Trump put kids in cages, Trump separating families, yeah, and it's like, it, well, it's true, but it's like those are policies that the previous administration did and not his administration. And so he's enforcing the law. And I'd say he's done the most, the best he can to try to stop illegal immigration, illegal aliens from coming into the United States. And, but uh, when I talked to him, it's like, hey, don't look at the person, look at his policies. Look at how he's protecting Americans. Look at how he's stopped. He's ending the useless wars. I mean, Christians are not for war, are they? I mean, it's like, hey, he's stopping the bloodshed in Syria. He's stopping the wars with North Korea. I mean, just think, what was it like? 
a year and a half ago that they were threatening to nuke the United States and that they possibly had a nuclear missile that could make it and wipe out the West Coast. I mean, do I guess they just don't remember these things because, and also when they have a media that lies to them every day and calls Trump the worst things ever and has a Charlottesville hopes against them and try to pit him as being racist and all this stuff. I mean, it's no wonder, but it's like, as Christians, we're supposed to have discernment. We're supposed to lean on the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to pray for our leaders, and we're not supposed to hate anyone. There's so many Christians that I've met that are left-leaning that physically hate the president. I'm like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you serve the same Jesus I do? Because Jesus says to love our enemies and to pray for them and pray for our leaders. Are you doing that? It's like, hey, seek the Lord, pray, and really seek him with an open heart when it comes to Trump. Because he is for Israel. He stands up for Christians. And I think that if anyone on the left gets in, um, we're going to see some major persecution in the United States, and we're going to lose our religious freedom. I mean, Trump repealed the Johnson Act so pastors can actually talk about politics without fearing them losing their status or having the Gestapo come after them. I mean, it just comes to religious freedom and his pro-life. I mean, he loves the babies. He's wanting to stop all the human trafficking. He's even set up, like, human trafficking task forces, which you know that the enemy hates and that's removing power from Satan that he gets from all that. And so it's like, it's just, this is a battle uh, that's not against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual battle that Trump is taking on. And so that's why I pray for Trump every single morning, and he needs all of our prayers. So whenever you think of Donald Trump, say a prayer and just release the Holy Spirit upon him and release the angels and it's like at least the discernment and the guidance of the Holy Spirit on him. Well, I agree with you 100%. In fact, that's why I wrote my book, God, Trump, and the 2020 Election. And the subtitle is Why He Must Win and What's at Stake for Christians if He Loses. And of course, I go into a lot of things that we didn't have time to talk to today, but I make a lot of the points that you did, and you're very articulate. I want to thank you for (laughs) braving the cold and asking questions and agreeing to be on this podcast. And so let me just finally ask you, before I make a final comment, what do you think is going to happen on November 3rd with the election for president of the United States? I think it's going to be a big blowout. I think that as long as Christians and the Republicans are not complacent and they actually go out and vote, there's no one that can beat President Trump. I mean, we have a killer economy and there's like the lowest unemployment. And it's like, why would anyone vote Democrat and risk destroying everything that has happened in the last three years? It it just would boggle my mind. Well, it's well said, and I so appreciate you taking time to be on my podcast today. Let me just uh, remind my listeners that they can pick up a copy of God, Trump, and the 2020 election. Really, anywhere books are sold, uh, Walmart, Sam's, Costco, BJ's, Christian bookstores, of course, and the online retailers all have it. The book is selling well. We just ordered a reprint this week. But if people want a signed copy by the author, that's me, and they can buy it from our own website, which is a shortened version of the book. It's called GodTrump2020.com. I'll say it again. It's GodTrump2020.com. And when they buy it there, of course, they get a signed copy. But really, pick up a copy, read it, share it with friends. We've got to get the word out because while it looks like 
it was going to be hard for anyone to beat Donald Trump. There's just so many variables. In fact, I have a whole chapter in there called Why Trump Might Lose, and complacency is the number one reason. But there's other reasons, too, that we won't take time to go in now. I'll just thank you once again, Benjamin McGuire, for being my guest today. Thank you for my listeners. I think that today we will pass 1 million downloads since January 1st. I've been watching it to see when we pass that milestone, and it's because people like you uh, listen, tune in every day, and also share it on social media and forward it to their friends. So if you agree with what we're talking about, if you're interested in this, if you have friends that you think would be interested, please feel free to share this podcast. With that, I'll wrap up this edition of my podcast and invite you to tune in again tomorrow. God bless you.